Happy Life Day, one and all. So the Star Wars Holiday Special debuted last week, and it follows Rey on a mysterious quest to gain a deeper knowledge of the Force as she's hurled into a cross-timeline adventure. The show features the celebration known as Life Day, which was first introduced in the original Holiday Special back in 1978, which is now a source of mockery amongst the fans. But the original television special has been remade in Lego form, and... It's the holiday season, so I figured we'd talk about both versions today. Welcome, you're listening to Han Talks First. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I hope you're having a great week. On Monday, we released our most recent episode of the Mando Talk Show, me and Dean. We discussed the Siege, um, Chapter 11 of The Mandalorian. We had a lot of great things to talk about, I think, and we also posted it to YouTube. I did want to plug the YouTube page for a little bit because we do post a lot of videos on there, and... We post clips from the full shows. So if you don't feel like watching or listening to a full show, we'll post the important parts in a small clip format onto the YouTube page. I mean, the the podcast is doing great. Um, in the last two weeks alone, there's been 47 new subscribers to the podcast. So thank you so much. A big shout out to Australia. I don't know how or why, but... Um, the Australian Star Wars fan base is it makes up 37% of the new listeners that have joined Han Talks First. That's fantastic. So, good day, mates, and so glad you could join us today. Uh, like I said, we'll be talking about both the new and the old Star Wars holiday specials. But before we do, we're going to jump into our new segment again called Star Wars Replay. The segment of the show where we replay the best moments, anniversaries, and achievements that happened this week in Star Wars history. So, back in 1987, NBC premiered for the first time The Empire Strikes Back on television. It was a big deal because up until then, you could only see it in theaters, and even then, it was a limited release. Uh, We are also celebrating two birthdays this week. Uh, The big one is Adam Driver. Happy birthday to him. Uh, otherwise known as Kylo Ren, and also Ming-Na Wen from The Mandalorian. It's her birthday this week as well. So if any of you listeners out there have a birthday this week, just know that you share this week with both Adam Driver and Ming-Na Wen. Another uh, moment in history this week was that the original Star Wars trilogy soundtrack was released all together back in 1993. It's 27 years ago. For the first time, they were all released on one um, record. And the next bit of Star Wars history is kind of a sadder note, but I still wanted to mention it because this person was very important to the Star Wars history, and that is Irvin Kirshner. In this week, back in 2010, Irvin Kirshner did pass away. So may he rest in peace. Thank you for bringing us The Empire Strikes Back. 
and showing us a different side to all of these wonderful characters we know and love. So that's it for Star Wars Replay. Tune back in next week and see what events in Star Wars history happened this week. So we're going to talk about the new Lego Star Wars Holiday Special first. Uh, I just recently watched it, and I actually loved it. I loved every second of it. I thought it was cute. I thought it was hilarious. I loved all the callbacks. And overall, it just made me feel good. And I think that's what the intention was for this, this short. It is 44, 45 minutes long, so it is considered a short. But it... It it fly it does it flies by when you're watching it. it it's very fast paced, um, but there's a little something in there for everybody. The first thing I will say about it, is, which I really loved, and it made me think of all the other Star Wars movies under Disney's umbrella, is the first credit that pops up at the end is based on the characters and world created by George Lucas, and just to think that it's been almost 10 years since Disney bought Lucasfilm and Star Wars from him. And they're, they're still giving him credit for this world and uh, just the respect there towards him. Now, it may have been a contractual thing, so they're forced to put that on the credits of everything they create going forward. But uh, it could not be. Either way, it's it's a very... I think it's really cool that they do that. And his credit is on every single Star Wars project Go like that's already been out and that's going forward, and uh, I just love it because we can't forget about George Lucas, and Disney's going to make sure we don't forget about him either. So I really love that, and we all know that George Lucas has a very infamous story when it comes to the holiday special. I know you're eager to hear what I have to say, but we're going to wait and uh, talk about the new one first. So overall, there was just so many things I loved about it. Uh, so many moments, such as like when Finn uh, using the Force at the beginning. This is the first time that they Star Wars actually acknowledges that Finn is Force sensitive. I mean, it was like it was teased, but not acknowledged in Rise of Skywalker. And apparently, there was it was just to be implied that he was force sensitive but now it shows him actually using the force being trained by ray so i'm glad we got to see something like that i do wish john boyega got to voice him but he's clearly not um in good graces with uh disney or lucasfilm anymore which is kind of sad there were two um i'm sorry there were three uh reprising actors who came in to do their their characters voices and that was anthony daniels it was um, uh, Billy D. Williams and Kelly Marie Tran. So they all came in and did their voices. Very brief, but it, it was nice to hear some, you know, something familiar in the in the cadences. Uh, everyone else was a new act, new voice actor. Uh, some of them did a very good job. The girl that did Ray's voice uh, sounded very much like Daisy Ridley. At some points, I was. I was wondering if it even was Daisy Ridley. It was it was very well done. It was a little different, but it, it worked for what this was, you know, a Lego Star Wars movie. Um, continuing with Rey, you know, the first time we see her after training Finn is she's going through those Jedi texts again. And in one of the books, the name Sidious is plastered across the top of the page. It's written in Arabesh. And I thought that was a really interesting... 
um, an interesting thing to put in there because the Jedi texts, when we saw them in episode eight for the first time, you thought they were ancient books. And Sidious's name is on the top of one of the pages. Now, it could have been she, she put that in there. Luke wrote that in there. Uh, who knows? But I don't know if Luke knows the Arabish language or not. Possibly. Anyway, um, another cool thing about Rey that I loved was when she, uh, she's going through all the timelines and crossing in between them, and she comes into Navarro, and she sees the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda, and everyone kind of stops, and she's just like, oh, so cute, and <laughs> I thought that was perfect. That's kind of how like everyone reacts to uh, that show, and including Daisy Ridley, so I don't know. That made me happy. Uh, another thing that I really loved was all the Obi-Wans getting together at the end, and <laughs> hello there, and Obi-Wan in the, from the prequel days, the original trilogy, and, uh, you know, the Padawan. Uh, Obi-Wan was great. He was hilarious. Another really hilarious character was Luke. Luke was just so dumb and such an idiot. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it so much, and he was constantly drinking the blue milk. That was so funny. Uh, he was just, he was an idiot. He was a straight idiot, and Luke is kind of an idiot in uh, episode four anyway, so it works. <laughs> it was great. Uh, the music. The music in the holiday special, surprisingly, was fantastic. I didn't take the time to look up who composed the music. I should have, but uh, I will at some point. But I, if when you're watching it, take a listen to, especially in the scene in the Jedi Temple, when Rey is, after she speaks with Yoda, and she starts summoning the portal to go back into the timelines or whatever. The music there, it's a, it's a rephrasing of the, uh, the actual Star Wars theme. The, and it was mixed with the, uh, so the Force theme mixed with the fanfare theme. And it was really beautiful. And it also had a Christmas uh, uh, tone to it as well with like the bells and chimes. And I thought it was very well done. I was very impressed. Also, another great moment, Greedo's McClunky. So funny when he shows up at the party. Uh, And when Sidious tells Kylo Ren to put a shirt on, (laughs) that was so funny. I love whoever voiced Darth Sidious. I thought it was... Uh, it fits that character in a cartoony way. And uh, I, w- I would love to see, you know, this continued on as like a, a short series, you know, uh, like for Disney Plus or YouTube or whatever. I just I've, I found it funny and the voices were in it were very good, too. Chewie's family was back. Uh, now, <laughs> this is when we're starting to get, to get into the old the old version of the holiday special. So Chewie's family was from the original it was his wife, Mala, his son, Lumpy, and his father, Itchy, I think. And all of them came back, but they weren't, you know, on screen, they weren't identified as that, but I'm pretty positive that's who they were supposed to be. But what was funny was when Maz Kanata enters, she arrives and she calls out for Chewbacca. She's like, where's my boyfriend? Uh, just like she did in The Force Awakens. And then the two of them start running around and frolicking on the Falcon, like rolling around together. And Poe says something like, uh, this is gross. Or I forgot what he said. But it, I, w- <laughs> I thought it was so funny because Chewie's like, 
you know, screwing around with Maz right in front of his wife and no one's saying anything about it. Uh, maybe, um, Wookiees are, uh, are, uh, I don't, I don't know. Maybe they, they just are, have free love or whatever that's called. I, I don't know. They are allowed to have multiple partners as long as they're of different race. I, I have no idea. I have no idea. Anyway, that was a really funny moment. So to close on the holiday special, it was fantastic. Um, you know, a really fun watch. It's probably not canon, but, you know, canon is whatever you accept or deny. So you choose for yourself. It's really funny. If you haven't seen it, please go watch it. It's fantastic. Some of the lessons in it are that of failure, that of uh, relationships. You know, failure, as in it was like, you learn to be a better student or a better teacher by the way you fail. It's not just students fail. Teachers can fail as well. And then with... um, the relationships, it was about having knowledge and training, but knowledge and training are useless without a connection to someone. And the example was all the masters and apprentices you see throughout the movies, they're not just teachers and students, they're also friends. So I thought that was a really cool way to tie into not only The Force, but all the other movies at the same time and give this movie a lesson behind it. So yeah, it's on Disney+. Plus. Go check it out. It premiered on the same exact date as the original did in 1978 on November 17th. And I think it was broadcasted on CBS about 42 years ago. So now that we've finished with that, let's go back in time 42 years ago and talk about the original Star Wars holiday special. For anyone who thinks that Jar Jar Binks is the most despised thing in the Star Wars universe. I've got bad news for you. The actual runaway victor in that category is the two-hour Star Wars holiday special. And the, this original special suffered much critical and fan humiliation. It, it was that bad. And not just among viewers, but the creators too. George Lucas once said that if he had a time machine and a sledgehammer, he would destroy every copy there ever was. And 40 years later, almost all of the surviving cast who appeared in the original show are still embarrassed by its existence. Uh, C-3PO, for example. Um, Anthony Daniels, excuse me. He, he said that George Lucas has been known to like walk out of interviews when an interviewer like starts to ask questions about, about the holiday special, and that he said that the show will never be made available again. He went so far as to try and purchase every copy of the Star Wars Holiday Special and have it destroyed, which even including, you know, destroying the Masters. In the early 90s, Lucas said that he believed that he destroyed all the Master tapes and it was nowhere in existence. But it is proven false I mean, you can find it on YouTube if you really want to. And it was also in the 2011 uh, cartoon Blu-ray release. So it's it's snuck in there. Um, it's just kind of funny the relationship George has with this, with this show. Uh, Harrison Ford, too. He says he doesn't even remember uh, shooting it or appearing in it and that he's never seen it. And he says there's no point in asking him any questions on it. Mark Hamill, he he cleverly dodges most of the questions that are asked 
of him about it. I mean, the only Carrie Fisher is the only person who ever talks on it publicly, and she does, she hates it too. But there's actually one person involved with the original Star Wars holiday special who actually likes it and enjoyed the process, and that's Peter Mayhew. <laughs> Peter Mayhew is the only person who's ever said he enjoyed the experience making the holiday special, and well, of course he did. It's about him and his family, but. I don't know. He seems like a sweet guy. He probably just enjoys everything in his life. So yeah, with all of these people hating this movie, this experience, and George trying to delete everything, you know, taking it off of the broadcasting service and uh, making sure no one sees it, there was one person that George Lucas allowed to have a copy of the holiday special. One and one alone. And I'm not talking about Disney. I'm talking about the documentarian, Kevin Burns. So Kevin Burns was making a documentary on the, uh, you know, the television history and um, the goods and the bads and everything. And he asked George if they could have a copy of Holiday Special so they could put it in the documentary. And George said yes. Now, he's a very respectable documentarian and filmmaker, so I think... That's probably why he handed it off to him. He didn't, however, use any of the footage from the holiday special in his documentary. But he, it's, that's the one person that he allowed access to that film, which is kind of interesting. So how did this disaster of the holiday special come to be? Like, what made it so bad? That's what we're here to talk about today. Why, how, who is to blame? So... We're going back in time, right? When George Lucas was outlining the original Star Wars and planning for its potential sequels, this was before The Empire Strikes Back. This was in late 1977. George Lucas imagined a film just about Wookiees and nothing else. So after A New Hope's original success, the cast made tons of appearances on a variety of TV shows, promoting the movie, radio, talk show, TV, uh, just uh, multiple press tours because the movie was the biggest at its time. And so the marketing head of the Star Wars Corporation was with CBS at the time, and he brought the idea of doing a TV special, you know, following up A New Hope to George Lucas. His name was Charles Lippincott. So... The inception of this idea was actually not from George Lucas. It was from someone else. Now, there's dispute over this claim that, you know, Charles is the one who originated the idea, but uh, from an interview I read, this seems to be accurate, and I'll get to the interview a little later. Now, according to J.W. Rinsler, who is a a Star Wars author and uh, I guess you could say documentarian, he says that everybody agreed that a television special was a good idea. He also says that George Lucas was busy moving his production company to a new location, so he was not heavily involved in the special. And even though Lucas is uncredited, it was his idea to build a narrative around Chewbacca's family. So even though everybody agreed a TV special was a good idea, the only person who objected to the idea of it being about Wookiees was Bruce Villanach, who is the writer, one of the writers of the holiday special. And he objected because 
he was saying that the dialogue would all be in Wookiee language, and therefore he fears that the special would turn into one long episode of Lassie. And even though he brought up that point, Lucas refused to change it. And according to Bruce, George Lucas originally intended for the story of Chewbacca's family to appear somewhere else in the Star Wars saga. So with that, I'm kind of glad that it decided to go into the holiday special, which is not really part of the universe. Because if it wasn't the holiday special, it was going to be either Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. Imagine if that had happened. Good Lord. Uh, Another fun fact about Bruce is that (laughs) because he really wasn't into the idea of this, but he still helped to write it, he admitted that he was using cocaine heavily while helping write the script. (laughs) So uh, that's also part of how the disaster comes to be. Now, J.W. Rinsler said that George Lucas wasn't heavily involved, um, but he was in in charge of the, you know, the idea of what the narrative was going to be based on. But if George Lucas wasn't creatively involved on set, who was? Well, the holiday special went through two different directors. The first director was David Acomba. He was the original director through pre-production, and he was originally going to you know, carry this out all the way through. And uh, David is actually the guy who came up with the idea for Boba Fett to appear. So he originally commissioned the scene for Boba Fett. And I guess you could kind of say he he's the one who came up with Boba Fett in general because originally there was no um, ideas for that character. And he commissioned some... Um, animation studio to make this segment for the show and then concept designs were made and a character was uh, designed for Boba Fett so I think that's pretty cool Um, another fun thing about David is he actually wanted Robin Williams to be in the holiday special but the producers of the show you know they they didn't want that to happen but it's interesting because David Acomba wanted a lot of things to happen in the holiday special that never came to be. None of his ideas came to be, except for technical things, which I'll get into in a second. But a lot of his story ideas really didn't come to fruition. And I wonder if that's maybe what made this such a bad story. If he'd have gotten like full creative or a little bit more creative control, if it would have been any better. Now, David Acomba actually quit after only a few days of shooting. He was brought in initially through an attempt to make the holiday special a completely different type of TV show. So that was the that was the objective he was given by George Lucas. And George Lucas found David because he was a classmate of his at USC at the film school. And you know, one of the issues when bringing him on board was that David was unfamiliar with this system known as a multi-camera setup. And that's how George Lucas wanted to shoot this. He wanted to shoot it like a TV show. TV shows use a multi-cam setup. And if you watch any sitcom, old sitcoms from the 90s or anything, um, you know it's just like a three-camera system, one wide, 
two on the sides for characters. <clears throat> and this caused problems for David because he wasn't familiar with that type of filmmaking. He was a film guy, right? And he's going into TV. So it was a little different for him. So that, ca- that started the snowball effect of a bunch of problems. David also felt that there was a, a divide between himself and the producers. And he chose to leave the project after finishing only a few scenes. He, and he, I've read a couple interviews. He says countless times how he had many disagreements over certain things. And he didn't really care for the producers too much. And the producers didn't really care for him. I don't think he's talking about George Lucas specifically. I think they're pretty good buddies. Um, but he didn't have many conversations with George, actually, about the holiday special. And that leads us to who replaced him. And it was a man named Steve Binder. And he was brought in, and the, the only relationship he had with Lucasfilm from then was he wrote a book called The Wookiee Bible, which detailed how the Wookiee species looked and behaved. And it was, it was basically an encyclopedia on the species. So that's why he was brought in to direct this. But even though they replaced the director, it didn't mean that everything was going to work out still the way they wanted it to. So I've read a couple of interviews with Steve and uh, actually found out a lot more about the process of making this film, which I thought I was really interesting. and I'm so glad I get to share it here. So Steve has talked a bunch about how when he was brought on to the production, he was brought on you know, a week after David had quit, they had run out of money. They had gone tons amount over the budget in one week of production. So he was already, he was brought on to, you know, put a bandaid on this thing and hopefully carry it out. One of the things I mentioned earlier that David was unfamiliar with in the technical aspect was what's called a multi-camera setup. Now, Steve, the replacement director, he did know about this technique, but when he came to set, he saw that they were using a 360-degree set, which meant that it was essentially this huge um, soundstage that was like a giant apartment, and they they would shoot in separate rooms inside the apartment. And if you're using a multicam setup, it does not work practically with a 360 set. You can really only do that in a if you're like shooting a film. So right away he had disagreed with how the how the, the crew had managed to bring in film design sets with a TV setup camera crew, and he knew right away it wasn't going to work. So he had to fix that kind of problem. Another issue they had on set was that, you know, there's no dialogue. This is a movie about Wookiees, so therefore everything has to be subtitled. But when they're acting it out, it's hard to play off each other when all you hear is, and for other people to react to that too. So he claimed that that was a huge challenge that he had to, you know, try and figure out on set. And it's not like they could just say normal words, because one, not all the dialogue had been written already. And two, they weren't recording sound on set that day or those days that they were just shooting Wookiees. So he said everything was, about the production was frustrating, everything. But he feels that he helped out and put out some fires, as he says. 
He says he was brought on to be the fireman of this production, <laughs> simply to put out fires. So if you think about that, just think, this could have been way worse than what we got if Steve hadn't have been brought on. In some ways, you could say he saved this from being worse. Now, I know it's, it's kind of hard to imagine, but I feel bad for this guy. He was brought on, didn't know what he was getting into, probably got paid very handsomely to do it, uh, was told it was Star Wars, you know, was very excited. And he came on and he, he was literally just the problem solver, probably didn't get any freedom to be creative or anything. And that's what I wondered when I first, you know, heard about this story. And then I found another interview where he talks about the creative aspects of this. And I'm going to read you verbatim a quote he says in this interview here. Now, this interview was done only a couple of years ago, so it's relatively new. Um, but here we go. So he says here about the creative, you know, aspect of everything and George Lucas. So he's talking about George Lucas here. He says, I never saw him or even received a phone call from him. He was never on set at all, but he came up with the story and supervised the script by the writers they brought in, which were Pat Proft, Leonard Rips, and Bruce Villanich, Rod Warren, and Mitzi Welch. And he approved it. I think he distanced himself when he didn't get great reviews. I mean, to sort of disassociate from it when he was the whole force behind that project, that's disappointing. And saying you know he wanted to buy the negative and get it off the market and so forth, which was kind of ironic because he's the one, before I ever entered the picture, who wrote the script and gave it the green light from his end, with the goal of, tell with the goal of purely selling a lot of toys. But I think it just goes back to what I said earlier. They failed to tell the public exactly what it was. This was not Star Wars 2, and I know a lot of fans were really disappointed with expectations so high, and here you have Harvey Corman doing a cooking parody of Julia Child in a scene. You had Dehane Carroll singing a sexy song in it, and you had Jefferson Starship trying to do a hologram sequence and so forth. And the story itself was pretty weak, but I'm glad I did it, and I learned a lot. And I can honestly say that I've never done a show where I didn't learn something from someone. So that's the big quote from Steve. And there's a lot to take from it. I mean, for one, you know, he, he, it sounds like he, you know, looks back on it and appreciates his time on it. He learned a bunch of things. But I think the big thing to take away from this was that George Lucas really, even though he wasn't creatively involved or wasn't on set um, as much as people think he was, you know, even though he wasn't there for the making of it, he is still solely responsible for how bad this turned out. George Lucas is a, a good businessman and a good leader, I believe. A lot of people don't think he's a good director. I do. But in this situation, he needed to be there and lead the people in the right direction. And so it, it is his fault. He, he thought he could write out an outline pass it on to, what, this was like six writers on this project, have them make something great out of it. But what he failed to understand was that this was about Wookiees. This was about something that is completely unfamiliar to people. They can't even talk to each other and be understood by the audience. And it was, it was his money. It was, well, it was also CBS's money, but it's his company that he's, you know, 
putting up. And he, he needed to be there. And I think if he was involved a little bit more, it, it could have been better. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, the biggest issue was the script. I mean, even Steve says he came on and he says the script was weak. So I don't understand how it, it, it got continued to be made. I mean, the, when they were making it or in pre-production, they talked so many times about how they were thinking about shutting down. Four weeks before it started production, they were saying they were going to cancel everything and turn it off because the the original director. And then they decided to keep going. And then a week before, they thought they were going to call it off, but they kept going. And then when the first director quit, they thought again, they went on a week hiatus and they said, okay, this is it. We're going to pull the plug. Yet they still pulled someone in, <laughs> this Steve guy, to make the movie. So this was solely, as Steve puts it, this was solely to make money. George Lucas knew making this movie would rake in so many more dollars from the toys. He was also probably getting a pretty fat check from CBS as well, which maybe if he didn't take so much of that check, if he you know cut his salary a little bit and put it towards the actual project, maybe they'd have a bigger production value and they'd be able to, <laughs> to do a little bit more with it. Now, I don't think Steve um, should get, you know, Steve Binder. I don't think we should really hate on him that much. He's a great director. He works mostly in like TV films and I've seen he's, he's done like some, uh, some musical heroes document documentaries, that kind of stuff. And he's still working today. He makes tons of stuff. He's made over a hundred pictures, which is pretty impressive. Um, he, he clearly came in because he loved the property and he wanted to help. And he did a lot of problem solving and made the best thing he could make, honestly. But it's not his fault. As it, It's very clear. <laughs> we can all fairly blame George Lucas for this. But I think the last thing I'll talk about is the audience expectations, which I agree were, were not appropriately handled. You know, people believed this was going to be Star Wars 2. I wasn't there. I don't know, but... I would I would have been anxious as hell to see this. They probably marketed the hell out of it, made people believe this was the next big thing and on television in your own home, you don't have to go and buy a ticket or anything. And <laughs> to see what they saw, like uh, I would have been disappointed too. I've felt that before. <laughs> and it's a terrible feeling. But yeah, hopefully you learned something here today from, you know, Maybe something you didn't know about the process of the holiday special. Um, maybe you knew everything. Maybe there's, I mean, you probably know some stuff I don't know too. I would love to hear. So please share with me your thoughts. You know, message me on the social media. Everything's at Han Talks First Podcast. Um, go check out the Lego holiday special. Don't even waste your time with the old one. Just don't, please. It, you're going to be okay. I mean, you don't need to hear Princess Leia singing poorly. <laughs> That's not the worst part of the movie, but you get it. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Come listen to us on Monday. We're going to talk about the new episode of The Mandalorian, which I think features Ahsoka Tano, but we'll see. And yeah, and then come back next Wednesday too, so we can talk more Star Wars. May the Force be with you.